big thanks to our title sponsor, Blooming Smiles Pediatric Dentistry. Dr. Arpita Patel has a beautiful, modern, and upscale pediatric dental office in Charlotte, North Carolina. She and her experienced staff treat children of all ages and special needs patients. They create a comfortable, stress-free, and memorable dental experience for both the child and parent, starting with earning your child's trust and always catering to their individual needs. They're proud to offer the Waterlays Plus laser system they call Princess Poppy. It's an alternative method, which means no injections, shots, or drills. They genuinely share kindness, patience, compassion, and fun. Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. I'm Brittany Bogues. I'm the owner of Bogues Group, which is a consulting firm based in Charlotte, but we work all over focusing on um, events and strategic communication. But uh, one of the biggest things that's a part of the work that we do because of my past history is a lot of advocacy work for um, domestic violence and um, mental health awareness. Love it. And I know that you have shared your story in various places, but would you be willing to just kind of with our audience talk about your journey with mental health? Sure. Um, So I guess it kind of all began um, almost five years ago when I started working at Safe Alliance, um, which is a um, domestic violence shelter. And it was such a moving experience for me because I... um, was tasked with the role of communications manager. And I came up with the idea of a share your story piece where we showed um, various people from all walks of life um, that were impacted by DV or domestic violence because one in three women will experience it, one in um, four to five men will experience it in their lifetime. So I'm interviewing these people and I am hearing some of the most brave stories ever. I'm hearing a woman who watched her mother literally be murdered in front of her and how she overcame it, how she's inspiring thousands. I watched another woman share her story of contracting HIV from her abuser and like what her life is now like. Um, There's a professor who literally her life, she taught a class on domestic violence and became a victim to it. So it just kind of showed you there's no race or class associated with it. Um, And then the reason why mental illness and awareness is important is because it's kind of all wrapped up into it. When you think of like homelessness, DV, and mental illness, I feel like they they kind of are a Venn diagram of a bigger issue. Yeah, that's right. And as far as destigmatizing, I think that is so important to understand how it's like a equal opportunity thing, right? It doesn't matter where you are, what SAS class, what gender, what race. And so having these stats too, for you to say like one in three women, one in four and five men. Yeah. Right. In their lifetime. And so after hearing them share these incredible stories, I was like, why am I afraid to kind of share my story um, of domestic violence? And I mean, it fell into all the things you learn about, like being groomed and um, feeling victim shamed and victim blamed and carrying that guilt around with you. And so I decided to um, write an op-ed um, on my experience with DV um, and, it, and it would get up published by Huffington Post. Um, and so from there, I was then um, featured in the Observer. And so my story is not unique to many other people, but 
Um, it started with my ex-boyfriend. Um, I thought we were um, just going to hang out. It was a party. My friend I was supposed to stay with, she fell asleep. So I ended up having to stay with my ex and um, he wanted to, he was drunk and he wanted to talk about why we weren't together. Um, and he just was not liking my responses. Um, he threw a phone through the wall and um, from there decided to then choke me um, and almost to the point of unconsciousness. Um, I somehow got out and, you know, grabbed my stuff and went to my car and called my friend to go stay with her. And I mean, I was so ashamed and embarrassed. Like I didn't even tell my family mm -hmm. until, you know, 10 years later when it all kind of came out. So um, it, it can happen to anybody. You know, my dad is an, a former NBA player. And so um, I've always had the perception around me that, you know, my life is perfect and things mm -hmm. like this, but, you know, really sharing my story, it was so fascinating because like, I had like some critics who were like focusing on like, oh my gosh, like you're focused, they focused on like the statistics of like, uh, uh, I got wrong or something versus like for my dad's like playing career versus mm -hmm. like, you know, on the other flip of the coin, I got so many kind remarks and like people opening up and sharing their story. And I, it just made me feel better that at least I knew I was like, hopefully helping a few people. That's right. And to carry it for so long, you know, and I think this is something like you said about the victim shaming and the victim blaming, which is so pervasive in our society. Even when intellectually you kind of might know like this, sh this shouldn't have happened to me. I didn't do anything, but there's such a difference between that, like intellectual knowing and the, the knowing and the heart space and the body, how it carries trauma. Yeah. And I think this is kind of also why I really delve into communication because like it's all on how you phrase or say things that can really have an impact on the person that you're speaking with. Um, one of my friends, she's a really big um, mental health advocate. And she always tells me like, you should ask like, you know, what happened, not what happened to you or like, you know, what's going on or something like that. You really need to look at like, you know, what happened to you? Actually, that is right. She said, ask them what happened to you instead of like, you deserve this or like, what were you doing to be put in this situation? You know, it, it's, 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 takes the blame off of them and it's on the situation. Like what, you know, something has to have happened for you to do X, Y, Z. And can you say any more about like the grooming piece? Cause you mentioned that. And I think that's so important too, because we can get in our heads almost feeling like, am I crazy? You know, like when we're being gaslighted or when we're being groomed. So just speak to that in your yeah, so I was, I also learned about like the cycle of abuse and everything like that. I think they said like one in seven abusers are, were likely abused or some, some stuff like that. And so totally, like, I feel like abusers can almost seek their victim a little bit and sense maybe like they don't have strong connections to family or like just certain things that they can later isolate them from. Mm -hmm. So um, the grooming process is showing an over amount of attention, love. And I mean, it just, it feels really good. You feel like you're being wanted and you're maybe getting things that your attention and things that you're not used to getting praise and uh, yeah. acceptance. Um, and then it, then you see it slowly shift and there, there are usually little red flags, you know, mm -hmm. texting you all the time, you know, asking you to tell them where you are and like just little things like that. And at first you're like, oh, it's cute. Mm -hmm. But then you like, you're slowly get into that cycle. And then that's how they can slowly control the situation. They can isolate you from the things that you love and the people that you love. And then that's how they start controlling you. 
Yes. And that's the word I was going to use too. Yeah. It looks like, oh my gosh, they're so into me. And it's this very sneaky control. And I love that you've experienced like now when you share, having shared your story and, and like it's part of your work too, it informs your work that it becomes just much more normalized too, right? And the antidote to shame is giving voice to it. Yeah. And so that's yeah. really significant. Did you experience, and um, if I can ask, just like when you were, when you decided I'm ready to share my story, I, uh, I hear this a lot from clients or even just in my own experience of abuse of like, considering the other person in it too. Like there's this kind of, you know, like, uh, do I, do I need to protect them almost in this, you know, I don't know. Did you experience any of that or were you just like, I'm, I'm ready and willing to do this. However it looks. I don't know. I mean, there's so many things I went back and forth. Like I almost didn't do it just because of like, you know, I didn't want to have that associated with mm. like, my dad's brand. So I was like thinking about that. And I was thinking about like what it could do with my family and like me, my reputation as a business owner. And then you're right. I was thinking about like him. We went to high school together. We have like friends in common and like my friends, you know, some of them had to take sides and things. So it was just like, uh, and then like his identity obviously wasn't revealed, but so many things come into consideration. So yeah, I did think about that. Yeah. And then ultimately landing on, I'm going to do this for me. Exactly. mm Mm-hmm. And there well, is yeah. nothing to be ashamed of. So I can own it in this way. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before, hearing all these other people whose stories were like, I mean, losing your mom and funny, you like getting HIV. I mean, like I was crying through these interviews. And I was like, if I can use my platform to like reach just a larger audience, like why not? Because this literally can happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's beautiful. And so, yeah, I mean, the other piece of this is growing up in a public family and uh, you know that and I just think about the impact of that on mental health too that kind of everything is scrutinized or I mean certainly you know he, the height of his career was before like social media and all of that and yeah I, I just I can't imagine right but just yeah can you just speak to that a little bit though about you know what it's what it's like on your mental health to be a Muggsy's daughter yeah I mean on your mental health definitely have to be strong and look, use your resources. So like, you know, talk to counseling, do counseling therapy. But I I will say it's like, it's very interesting because it's like the dynamic of um, having to be private, but public. So like you have your own private life, like everybody else does, because everybody has a public and private face, but it's just like your public face is just being scrutinized and watched by like so many more people. So like, for instance, like when I went to Wake Forest, like, you know, people already knew I was like coming before I got there. So it's like the already expectation of like what I'm going to be like just because of who my dad is, you know? And so that plays into uh, your psyche a little bit because like you want to be yourself, but you also like know what people kind of expect of you. And like, you don't want to disappoint, but you also like just got to be yourself. So it's like a, it feels like pressure. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Or having to really tease out like what is authentic. (laughs) This feels authentic to me. And sometimes that line, because like you said, for all of us, that can be blurred about, is this a role I'm playing or is this me? Exactly. So um, I think that is kind of why like, you know, your, my self-esteem was down and, and other things that made me kind of open for a person like that in my life, you know, like weight was always an issue for me. 
Um, so like that was kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then also having the whole title of being someone's daughter always, you know, um, kind of hanging over you. Yeah. Did y'all have conversations in the family about stuff like that? Oh, of course. And like, um, you know, knowing, you know, I always do my best and I still do this now. Like, I don't even tell people who I am. Like, I don't like to open with it. Don't even try to use my last name because like, you just like want people to authentically get a good first impression of you before they, you know, all that other thing kind of comes yeah. into their mind. Um, well, and then so, you're questioning others' motives too. Yeah. And so it, it creates like a certain amount of like, trust things, um, you know, later on down the line. So like definitely working on, you know, being open to people and knowing that people do have good intentions most of the time, like at the heart, people want to be innately good, you know, so. Mm -hmm. What are you most proud of when you kind of reflect on what you've done thus far, who you are thus far? Yeah. What are you most proud of? Um, I think I'm most proud of like um, just being present and acknowledging the gifts that like you've worked so hard for um they're now like here um i think that makes me the most proud like i have a team around me that i love i have family you know you have all these things um work-life balance i've started to create that so i guess it's just like i'm just happy about all the little wins that equal a big win that yeah. are going on yeah i sometimes think about that it's just like i'm just proud that i'm doing it do you have um, mentors in your life or have you had mentors throughout your life? Yes, I will say I've like super blessed to have some like kick-ass mentors. Like one of them um, has passed away, but um, she, um, Sheila Stewart, she literally did public affairs for WKYS um, and then moved on to do it for all of Radio One, like met with like President Obama. Like, I mean, she was mm. on it when it comes to PR and she took me under her wing and literally like had me learn every aspect of communication. And I'm just forever grateful for her. Mm -hmm. um, and now I currently have like, a, I will say like at least a handful of women and men that I can like contact and just like get some really great personal or professional advice. And I don't know what I would do without them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. And to recognize that like, we don't have to do it on our own. <laughs> I love well, that. That I think that's the lesson I learned in my first business. I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years and my first business, literally, I believe, I, I know I failed because, you know, I didn't delegate, I didn't scale, but I also wasn't ready to be the kind of leader that people needed. Mm. Um, and so like, I feel like now, you know, communication styles, knowing how to meet people where they are instead of expecting them to just know where you were at um, has really helped me be like a better leader. Oh, that's such a great point. And I hear this thread in all of your stories of just like this willingness to show up as yourself too, whether it is owning your story or recognizing your strengths and weaknesses as a leader and how that needs to show up in your business. And entrepreneurship is hard. <laughs> It is so, it's so funny. I love those like memes where like people are like, this is what people think I do. It was like, totally. so true. Like people think you're like in your pajamas all day, especially the publicists. Like, cause we do like PR and events and we work with, you know, some celebrities, but also just fun businesses. People are like, oh, all you do is just like hang out with sluts. And it's like, no, I wish that was all I did. Like I'm over here on the grind. Yes. yes. Please look at all my email accounts. That's right. That's right. And just, the constant roll, like I Rolodex is such an old school term now, but like in our, in our brains of, or you can think about like the tabs open on a computer. Yes. 
in your brain. Like I, I, I feel that where you're just sort of like, oh my gosh, I can't attend to all of them. But like, which ones can I minimize? Which ones can I close? Which ones can I delegate? And it's just constant. Oh yeah. So I actually know the productivity coach um, because I was like, just trying to be more productive and get it all together. And she literally helped me like list out my four goals and these four areas of my life. And now it's like all about discernment. I always ask myself, like, does this get me closer to the, my end goal? And if it doesn't, I don't do it. And if it does, I do it. And it's really helped me kind of like create yes. some kind of like balance and I am, I love it. Yes. And, and in that is like the permission to say no too. Yeah. So if it doesn't serve the greater mission, I can say no and just let it go. Yeah. Which I think is hard when you're first starting out too. You, you kind of feel like, at least this is me projecting. I felt like I had to say yes to everything, you know? Cause you want the exposure, the opportunity. You don't yeah. know if anything else is going to come up. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And discernment is so important. Um, a productivity coach. See, there's somebody who does everything. I love it. So, okay. So this is what I will say. It's so great to kind of like what you're saying, have a great tribe around you. Um, some of my friends are entrepreneurs. And so I'll reach out to them. And I was like, you know, I know I don't need an organizer, but I don't know if this person even exists, but I kind of listed my problem. And she's like, oh my gosh, you need a productivity coach. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So I looked it up and I found a really great one. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it was, it's a great experience. You have gone to therapy, it sounds like. And just, yeah. yeah. So what would you identify as kind of like takeaways around the benefits of therapy? Like why you felt like that was impactful in your life? It goes kind of back again to like communication. I learned when I was getting my master's that like venting is not always healthy and it's actually not really good. And there's, there's different ways to vent. And so like, after thinking about that and just thinking about like, whenever like some kind of trauma happens to you and like what type of trauma response I have and like, what does it all mean? And, you know, talking to your friends and family is great, but like, are they going to give you tools to like change the behavior that you're becoming self-aware about and want to change? And so like, that's kind of what I would Mm. say the benefits are. The benefits are, you know, insight into yourself. Like you become more self-aware and also the tools that come from it. Um, It's like little changes that, um, you know, kind of seem like, oh gosh, like, why did I think about that? But it's like, you didn't think about it because you're not thinking about it. It's not in your skill set. And so I think there's so many different benefits from it. It's a weight off of your shoulder. Um, It's, I mean, yeah, I love that because I do sometimes hear, I, well, I don't have to pay somebody to do that. I can just go vent to my friend. And so I love this distinction between what that's like and then kind of like the purposeful communication style and techniques and theories and framework that goes into it between therapist and client. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a, a, a relationship that you're mm-hmm. building and growing and yeah, with your, mm-hmm. and it's internally with this with yourself at the end. So that's it. That's it. And it's like with, you know, when you're in whatever it is, it's really hard to see. (laughs) Okay. Maybe it sounds like when somebody reflects it back to you, like obvious or the tool, like, why didn't I think of that? But when you're in it, it's hard. And and so, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Any moments that or experience where you wish you could have just frozen time, stayed in it? Oh, oh my gosh. I have several of those moments. Like I, I, one that I can think off the top of my head is, we, my parents, so my parents were married, um, for seven years and then divorced for 10 and, and then they actually like got back together and were dating. 
And so um, for my dad's 50th birthday, um, we wanted to surprise him with a surprise birthday party. because You know, it's a big milestone birthday. And then we also surprised the guests with a surprise wedding. <gasps> um, so like, um, because, you know, my business is event planning, um, we got to like plan it and like have his guests come in and like our family was here. It was like intimate, but beautiful. And like, oh. it was such a cool love story. Um, so I would that definitely is... love to like, that moment in time. <laughs> That gives me chills. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and cool as like a grown kid to, to be a part of that love story in that kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that about their story of just, um, so you're like a child of divorce, but then like, not really. Like, it's like, <laughs> so talk about, I mean, that on mental health too, right? There's this like, uh, yeah. the ups and the ebbs and flows of that. It was, I mean, definitely it was so wild because, you know, for so long you never thought it was like a possibility because, you know, like when you're younger, because they divorced when I was 10. So it's like, you're always wanting them to get back together. And then you kind of get to a point where like, eh, it's probably not going to happen. Um, so you're, you get into that mood and then like, oh my goodness, this is happening. Um, but I will say like, it's, it's so cool because they like do love each other. And it also showed me like, the fact that like you change as a person and you got to find a person that is like changing with you at the same time mm. or can at least understand that you're changing and is willing to adjust you know and and that's what i kind of think love and like balance is like all about it's it, it, i don't know and just like learning about it i guess yes. that's and it, it taught me oh i love that and intentionally like choosing this person again says yeah. so much exactly and because you know all of their baggage. And I mean, cause at the end of the day, everybody has some sort of baggage. Yes. And so you just gotta be able to like compromise and figure out does it fit with yours. Mm-hmm. And so I, their love story, I mean, is, is beautiful. I mean, like I said, it shows you like you truly do, no matter what you change as a person, mm-hmm. whether it's like when you're super young and you get married, you don't really know yourself until you're in your twenties to me. And even then really in your thirties. So it's mm-hmm. like, Oh my gosh. Yes. And our values are always shifting too. So then like, no matter how old we are. And so how that happens alongside somebody is like really a miracle actually, when you think about it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's so crazy. So, and actually the other thing that jumps to mind and we can, if when you're talking about the body image stuff, like obviously one of the things about your dad is his height, right? I mean, that's like one of the, if, if people don't, you know, that's the thing, right? Like that is, that was part of his, obviously his talent. And there's this thing. So I think about body image in that way too. And I just kind of wanted to speak to that for a second about like, as we talked about men and statistics earlier, like we overlook that conversation a lot too about, I mean, how that shows up for boys and men too. And yeah, I mean, I would say like the coolest thing that I just learned from my dad is that like, he never let his height be a hindrance to anything and never let it be an obstacle. And so I guess like a kind of bringing that mindset into like my body image issue, you know, really kind of sitting back and realizing you're a result of your daily habits and like you can wish for things, you know, to be different and you just have to have the courage to take the step each day to like make it a reality. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people um, have like fear, fear of the unknown, fear of change. And that like maybe stops them from doing it. Um, And so I think because I watched my dad overcome and even my mom overcome so many obstacles, Mm -hmm. it made me like not afraid to be fearful and just kind of go after things like being a business owner is risky. It's, you know, it's taking a risk. So, yeah. 
again, showing up, like your willingness to show up. Yes. All right. Any go-to quotes that you love or mantras, words of wisdom? Well, I am a bit, I love freaking Bob Marley. I love life you live, live the life you love. Yes. Ooh, yes. That's it. We don't even say anything else. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Oh, okay. Crazy question time. Yes. Favorite favorite cocktail? Ooh, I have to say, oh, I just do vodka, oh, tequila on the rocks if that's a cocktail. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Keep it simple. <laughs> so basically, it's a shot of tequila. <laughs> wow. Um, a person dead or alive that you'd have that cocktail with? Ooh, it's a tie between Marilyn Monroe and Bob Marley. Okay, very different. <laughs> <laughs> Love her story. And she was like an advocate for like civil rights. Like she's uh-huh, like, her uh-huh. story amazing. So I want I the three of you in a room. That would be magical. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, most ideal date. Hmm. Uh, probably something really chill. Well, actually I take that back. It depends on my mood. Sometimes like dinner and then like going out to dance or something like that would be fun. Or I could do something adventurous like hiking or like mm-hmm. skydiving, something like that. Oh gosh. Okay. So big adrenaline rush. Okay. Have you ever done that? I did. So much fun. Oh, talk about being fearful and getting after it. I thought it was going to be like a roller coaster and it's totally not. It's like there's your stomach doesn't drop at all. It feels great. Interesting. Like floating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And last one, (laughs) if you can't sleep, what are you thinking about? Like if your mind is turn and what do you think about uh, all the things I need to be doing on my to-do list uh basically and yep. probably my dog yeah oh what's his name her name his name is lucky I've had him for 14 years and oh. he's a handful hmm, 14 years though that's like getting old yes I know I'm like traumatized if anything happens to I, him. I'm, like, I'm gonna need like 12 weeks of bereavement or something yeah <laughs> yes yes but guess what you own the business so you can give that to yourself <laughs> Anything else you'd add to the conversation around just ending the stigma, normalizing dialogue around mental health? Yeah, just I know that like one in four people um, are impacted by mental illness. So I'm sure people know more than four people. So (laughs) kind with your words and just understand that you may not see what's going on beneath the surface. So be kind. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Yeah. Thank you for doing this and creating this platform. I mean... Number one, your title is amazing, but you're really doing great work. So thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to Brittany for opening up about her story and her experience with domestic violence. I want to talk about that in this week's therapy highlight. We also refer to domestic violence as intimate partner violence, and this can include several types of abuse. There's psychological abuse, which is things like gaslighting, threatening, stonewalling. There's verbal abuse, using words to demean, criticize, frighten, or control someone, sexual abuse, and physical abuse. And of course, these can co-occur. And while we do say that there are some red flags and warning signs we are aware of, I think it's important to note that there is often a grooming period. So before the abuser really goes in with their tactics, uh, they have formed an attachment and allegiance, a connection with the partner uh, so that that makes the whole experience even more confusing. So some of these red flags include but are not limited to things like extreme jealousy, possessiveness, high unpredictability, a bad temper, extremely controlling behavior, maybe even antiquated beliefs about the roles of women and men in relationships. 
And so what I want you all to take away is knowing that domestic violence can significantly impact one's mental health, whether it's causing anxiety, PTSD, depression. We need to all know what to do if we ourselves find ourselves in that situation or if we know someone. So to help someone else, it's important to know to never to blame or judge or criticize the victim and to try to offer your support, perhaps providing resources and specific options for help. And if you yourself are suffering any of these types of abuse, know that you're not alone and that there are a lot of resources out there and we will link some in our show notes. We really appreciate you all listening and hope you had some takeaways today. So who are you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We are removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy. Again, huge thank you to our sponsor, Blooming Smiles Pediatric Dentistry. Just check out the Google reviews for Dr. Arpita Patel to see how great she is with kids. They truly offer a holistic approach to ensure for every patient the well-being of mind, body, and spirit.